0: word of the Lord this morning, Psalm 78, starting in verse one. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. As far as the reading of God's word, let's pray and ask his blessing on it. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we're reminded once again that your spirit inspired this word for our upbuilding and edification, and we need your spirit to illumine our minds so that we can understand it and live in light of it. Would you impress this word on our hearts so that the word of Christ might dwell in us richly, filling us with wisdom and insight and knowledge. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you think about the generational responsibility that the church has, I think of the most exciting summer olympic event which is the four by 100 meter relay race it's exciting because it's nerve-wracking and what makes this u- event so unique and so exciting and nerve-wracking is because it's not just about running fast that some of the events are about running fast this one is about not only running fast but it's about the precision of handing off this small metal baton to the person that you have to meet at the next leg of the race and the importance of this handoff was painfully demonstrated to USA fans in 2008 by both the men's and the women's Olympic team. So in 2008 in Beijing, first was the men's race, and it was going smoothly for the United States. They had two legs done, they were doing very well, until Darvis Patton closed in on Tyson Gay. Tyson reached backward, but he couldn't connect at first. And now there was about a couple meters left of that 20 meter gap that they have to pass the baton off. But as Tyson closed his hands, right as he passed that zone, there was no baton in his hands. And so all the U.S. fans gasped in shock as they watched baton bounce on the track and it was not in Tyson's hands. Well, then you had the U.S. women's relay team and they got even further handing off the baton properly. They were on the last exchange, but when it came to the last exchange, Lauren Williams did not receive baton from Tori Edwards. Instead, it fell to the ground and you could see Edwards yell and cover her face and stop running because she did not have the baton. The handoff of the baton is absolutely crucial to the four by 100 meter relay. It doesn't matter how fast you run. If you do not have that baton handoff, it means nothing. Well, in a sense, this provides a helpful illustration of the Christian life because every generation of Christians must think not only of running the Christian race themselves, but also of handing off that baton of the gospel and the faith to the next generation. The Christian life is not... An individual event. It is in a sense a relay race, and as the gospel was passed on to us by someone else, so we must ensure that it is passed on to others, to the coming generation. So, what I want us to see as we look at Psalm 78 is this: every generation is called to diligently and dependently hand off the gospel baton to the next generation. Every generation of Christians is called to diligently and dependently hand off the gospel baton to the next generation. And so how does Psalm 78 help us see that? Well, first, it shows us that one of the keys to handing off the gospel baton is to learn from the warning of history, to learn from the warning of history. Now, Psalm 78, for you to read through the whole thing, would read like a historical recounting. It would go back, starting in Exodus, and work through events of Israel's history all the way up to the rise of King David and his rule over the nation. But what makes this psalm unique as a historical psalm is it recounts Israel's history in a rather unpleasant manner because the history it traces is the history of all of Israel's stubbornness and failures and rebellions. So for example, look at verse 17 and 18 of Psalm 78. It says, yet they sinned, the people of Israel, they still sin more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their hearts, by demanding the food that they craved. So it's commemorating Exodus 16 and 17 and 18. Then jump down to verses 56 and 57. It says, Yet they, the nation of Israel, tested and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies, but turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow. So this is recounting the times when they went after other gods in the nations that were surrounding them. So this psalm is recounting the dark days of Israel's past. It's recounting all the times they wandered away, all the times they fell short of the glory of God. But another interesting feature of this psalm is not just that it's historical, and it's historical in a rather unpleasant way, but this psalm was written to be regularly recited and sung by the nation of Israel. So it's it's thought that this psalm was probably used at least annually at one of the feasts of the nation of Israel. So the whole nation would gather together, they would have a feast, and they would sing psalms. One of those was likely psalm 78 so to imagine what it would have been like for the nation of israel to sing psalm 78 imagine that you're sitting down with the largest family gathering you have during the year so thanksgiving christmas whatever it is everyone's there for the special meal and you join together to sing a song that your grandma wrote recounting all the most terrible sins in your family's history to the tune of happy birthday (laughs) that really works up an appetite doesn't it now, why would such a song be written for the nation of Israel to sing and recount regularly? Well, to use a maxim of history, those who don't learn from history are destined to repeat it. God inspired this psalm for his people to motivate them, to kind of shock them awake, to warn them to avoid walking in the rebellious ways of past generations. He, he gives a psalm to remind them of what Joshua said when his leadership was coming to an end. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Psalm 78 was like a tombstone that read, here lies past generations of stubborn rebels who dropped the baton. Let this grave remind you to hold that baton firmly and pass it on faithfully. But what was the specific warning that the psalmist was sounding in this history lesson? Well, the answer is found in verse four. Look there with me. Verse four, we will not hide from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. The great warning that led to all this wandering and unfaithfulness was that older generations had stopped telling the next generation about all the glorious deeds that the Lord had done. So thinking of a feast again, the feast of Passover was to be this commemorative time of God's deliverance out of Egypt, the provision of a lamb whose blood covered us. And yet, in much of Israel's history, they never celebrated that feast. They never sat down to commemorate that occasion to remind the people of God what he had done. And so what was the result of this neglected responsibility to pass the baton? Look at verse 11. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. They forgot. And then jump down to verse 42 as well. Same thing. It's like a refrain, a sad refrain in this dirge. They did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from the foe. So over every generation that wandered away from the Lord, the banner hung over it was, they forgot, they forgot, they forgot. So faithlessness in retelling the glorious deeds of the Lord led to forgetfulness. Faithfulness led to forgetfulness. And forgetfulness led to generation after generation wandering away from the Lord. That is the warning of history that Psalm 78 wants us to heed. This warning of the past is meant to motivate us to diligence and faithfulness in the present. God's not warning them just to make them feel bad. He's warning them about the past to remind them to be faithful and diligent in the present. Because we often, we often can neglect this responsibility. So in our responsibility toward the next generation, it is so easy to shift into autopilot to just coast along unintentionally just going through the motions of life. But the Lord calls us to be intentional with the time and opportunities we have. I can't recall how many times as a parent someone has told me, they grow up so fast, they grow up so fast, they grow up so fast. I would be rich if I had a nickel for every time someone said that. And yet I would also be rich for every time I shifted into autopilot and was very unintentional and just going through the motions in that season. And we need this warning because we we can make the mistake of being formulaic and presumptive when it comes to the next generation. In other words, we can fall into the the just-follow-the-formula error. This is very easy. You know, if we we homeschool them, if we only let them hang out with the right friends, read the right books, right, Narnia, not Harry Potter, if we let them watch the right shows, go to the right church, right, Presbyterian, not Methodist, right? Then you put them in the oven at 400 degrees for 18 years and out pops this wonderful child, Right? Now, some of those things, to degree, I was being somewhat facetious, some of those things are, are good and helpful and means that the Lord uses, but the issue with formulas is that they often become recipes for self-sufficiency. That's the danger with formulas, with the five-step plan. It often becomes nothing other than a recipe for self-sufficiency rather than dependence on the Lord. And it's in all of the callings of the Christian life, especially the calling to pass the gospel on to the next generation, we need to remember that unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor labor in vain. That is what we need to remember in this calling. Well, the second key to secure a handoff of the gospel baton to the next generation is to build a church in your home. So, so John and Rebecca, you're going to get a new house and you're going to do some renovations. So, you're going to first thing you need to do is you need to build a church in your home. Okay. Now, I don't mean that you should call a construction company and install really uncomfortable pews and serve bad coffee. That's not what I mean by build a church in your home. I mean that every Christian household should function like a little church. Every Christian household should function like a little church, meaning the sounds and activities of corporate worship on Sunday should echo throughout the home of every church member Monday through Saturday. That's what it means to build a church in your home. We gather on Sunday to adore and praise God so that on Monday, when you wake up and you grab your cup of morning coffee and you look out at the beautiful sunrise in South Florida, your reflex reaction would be to say, Lord, our Lord, amidst the old earth, how majestic is your name. We gather on Sunday to examine ourselves in light of God's perfect law and confess our sins so that on Tuesday, when you lash out in anger at someone, whether your spouse or friend or your children, your heart might be more tender to the conviction of the Spirit so that you quickly and humbly confess your sins and ask for forgiveness. We gather on Sunday to hear and give thanks for the gospel of Christ so that on Wednesday, when you're weighed down with guilt and you're feeling the condemnation of your fall on Tuesday and yelling at someone, that you might be more readily able to recall that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God and that he might live in the freedom of no condemnation in Christ. So we gather on Sunday to shape and motivate how we live Monday through Saturday. And there's a wonderful children's poem that beautifully applies this point to the Christian household. It says this, My family goes to Sunday church. We see the pastor there. He teaches us the word of God and leads us all in prayer. We pray and praise God in our home. He makes our family glad. Our home is like a little church. The pastor is my dad. And that's not saying, that's not written by me. It's written for the the Christian home. That each Christian home should be a reflection of the local church. This is how every home should function. And this is what the psalmist stresses in verses 5 to 7. Look there with me. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Now notice in the second part of verse five that the psalmist refers to a command that God gave to the fathers. He said, he commanded our fathers to teach their children. Well, what command is he referring to? Well, he's referring to, to Moses' instructions in Deuteronomy 6. So as Moses is about to depart, leave the people, prepare them for the promised land, he gives a unique instruction to fathers. And he says this, Deuteronomy 6, 6 6-9, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, and on your gates. That's what I mean by building a church in your home, that you would seek to exude this in the Christian home. Because what these verses, what Psalm 78 verse 5 and what Deuteronomy 6 is signaling to us is that the home is the front line of discipling the next generation. The home is the front line of gospel ministry for the next generation. It's the primary place, the ordinary way that God works to pass on that baton to the next generation. And the reason I stress this is because there there has arisen a mindset over the last two decades that parents should be able to come to church, drop off their kids, and expect that when the kids turn 18, they can come back, pick them up, and they find out that they had a good time, they love Jesus, and they're ready to get a job and move out and be independent. Okay? Now, that parenting mindset sometimes goes something like this. You know, We give them food and shelter and clothing and the occasional affirmation, and it's the church's job to give them Jesus. The church, let me say this uh, boldly, the church is not a spiritual daycare. God did not design the local church to replace the calling of a Christian household. Now, now don't misunderstand me. I'm not against a church ministering to the young having activities and programs and ways that the children and youth are discipled and cared for. I think it's a wonderful thing, but we have to understand its relationship to the home. Those things are only ever supplemental to the spiritual calling of parents, never a replacement for them. They're supplemental, never a replacement. The home is to be a little church where the littlest covenant members receive their primary lessons and instructions about Christ. Now, on a practical level, one of the most effective ways I've, I've found to build a church in your house, to apply Psalm 78, 5, to apply Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 9, is having some sort of anchor discipline by which the word of God is brought into home, where the aroma of Christ fills the home. And for our family, that has been, sadly, inconsistently so, but yet somewhat regularly, the practice of family worship or, or family devotions or, or whatever term you want to name. I have found that to be the most helpful way of telling the coming generation of the glorious deeds of the Lord's and what he has done. And it was a completely foreign concept to me until I was in the home of, a, I was at a new church, a new job, just moved to Florida and we're in Stewart, Florida and we're in the house of you know my mentor, the pastor of the church that I was gonna work at. And he invited us over for dinner on a Friday night. And after the meal was done, after we had talked and laughed, the kids went like clockwork and, gla- and grabbed these, these red books and they brought them to all of us, and you, you turn it open, and to me it looked like ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. Turns out my wife told me it was sheet music. There was just notes and songs there. And then one of the kids said what him they wanted to sing, and they all started singing. And to this day, it was the loudest, most horrifying sound I have ever heard because none of them could sing. In fact, my son Calvin, we only had one at the time, covered his ears the whole time. It was just, it was, it was awful. It was bad. And yet... At the same time it was one of the most joyous noises i had ever heard to to hear a family worshiping together because what they lacked in skill and they lacked in skill they made up for in heartfelt passion and then the pastor opened the bible read it from a chapter in the book of hebrews made a couple points asked some questions let the kids ask some questions shut it prayed and then we had dessert it was nothing extraordinary it was nothing earth-shattering nothing new it was simply singing reading praying for those 15 minutes, and yet it filled that home with the aroma of Christ in a way I had never smelled before. And it made me want to lead my family that way and encourage others to lead their family that way. It is it is not a magic formula. It's not something that you can, if we just check the box every Monday to Saturday, that this is, this is what's going to happen. But it is a way that God often blesses the passing on of the gospel baton to the next generation. So if we would secure the handoff of the gospel. Let's build a church in every home so that the sounds of Sunday echo through homes, Monday through Saturday. Now, a third key to handing off the gospel baton to the next generation is to never become an empty nester. Never become an empty nester. Now, again, I'm trying to be clever in how I label these points. So I have to explain them. I don't mean if you have children that you should require them to live with you until you die. No, I highly encourage parents to graciously kick their children out into adulthood, right? I I had to learn the hard way of what it means to get kicked out of the nest. But what I mean by this, what I mean by never become an empty nester is that every Christian who has an empty nest at home, whether because your children are grown, whether because you don't have kids of your own or because you're single, no one should neglect the next generation. The mindset of an empty nester can sound something like this. You know, I put in my work, I put in my time. Now it's my time to kick back, relax, and enjoy the spa and the country club. I don't have kids of my own, so the next generation doesn't really concern me. That is not a biblical mindset that we should adopt. We don't want to make the next generation the center of the world, sometimes as our world does, nor do we want to neglect them, sometimes as our world does. We want to know that it is a responsibility to pass on the gospel to the next generation. Now, it's the primary responsibility of parents to do it, but it is by no means the sole responsibility of parents. Passing on the gospel to the next generation is a community project. It requires friends. It requires season saints. It requires grandparents. It requires so many other friends and others to come alongside you to do it. Our family would not be what it was if it were not for this local church. Our our home has been so helped and encouraged by the uh, wisdom we've gotten for others, from the support we've gotten from others, from the help we've gotten from others. The. The the responsibility of raising covenant children is a community project. You cannot do it alone. And so that's why it's, it's so important that the local church is a vital part of every Christian life because it is so vital. The Lord has designed it that way. The home is a front line, but the local church is the second line of defense for ensuring the handoff of the gospel baton. So what would it look like to reject the mindset of an empty nester and invest in the next generation? Well, it would look like sharing the wisdom that the Lord has given you to those who are in stages of life earlier than you. So find a person who is in a stage of life that you have already been through and see what you can do to be a means of encouragement and wisdom to them. So every person who's in a new stage of life is wrestling with things that they're, they're dealing with for the first time, things that they've never come to. I remember when we first came home with our, our first child, I, you know, they didn't give us a manual, and so I was like, well, how are they letting us go? What are they doing giving us this child? And yet, we had other people come around us who showed us, well, one, there is no manual, and two, like, how to survive. That was, that was helpful. Every person needs someone who is in a stage of life behind them, who's been given wisdom that we don't have, so it can be passed on to them. So one of the great blessings of being part of this church, or, or any church, is when you have this intergenerational relationships that are formed in a local church. There are they're almost, almost no places in the world where you can form relationships across all these intergenerational boundaries than in the local church. And it is such a gift because in, in this church, we're not just young and trendy and we're not just used to be young and trendy a long time ago in this church, right? Yeah. There's an ample opportunity in this church to glean wisdom from people who are in other stages of life and that they can pour wisdom. So Proverbs says, and this is interesting. Our, our culture sometimes has become what's called a youth culture where it, the youth in the world set the trends of the ones who everything's focused at, everything's marketed towards, everything's about them, everything's kind of centered on them. And the wisdom of age and growth has been neglected. And yet the Bible does the opposite. Proverbs says, gray hair is a crown of glory. Meaning not not just if you have gray hair that you have a crown of glory. Now It means that often The wisdom signaled by going through life and receiving gray hair is a gift that is far more precious than so many other things this world offers us. And my wife pointed out the other day, I'm getting gray in my beard, so if you do want to talk to me afterwards, I do have (laughs) some wisdom to share. But there's others who have more gray hair than me, obviously, here. And what we want to do is walk alongside those people so that those who walk with the wise become wise. And those who are wise can share their wisdom with the young, so if you have spiritual gray hair, as Proverbs said, please be generous and share it with us who need some more gray hair. And second, one of the best gifts that one generation can leave for the next is a godly example. One of the best gifts you can ever give the next generation is a godly example. Not a perfect one, but a sincere and genuine one. So J.C. Ryle had this to say by the importance of leaving an example worth imitating. Instruction and advice and commands will profit little unless they are backed up by the example of our own lives. We little know the force and power of example. No one of us can live to himself in this world. We are always influencing those around us. Children, young people, see our ways, they mark our conduct, they observe our behavior, and what they see us practice, they are likely to imitate. Do not forget that children learn more by the eye than they do by the ear. What they see has a much stronger effect on their minds often than what they are told. Strive to be a living letter of Christ written on by the Holy Spirit that can be clearly and plainly read by the next generation. Those are helpful words, but also hard words to hear because all our conduct, all our speech, all our interactions, as we acknowledge, are under close surveillance by a group called the KNY. So it's like the NSA, but better. Okay? KNY is a kid near you. This group is hardwired to watch and imitate what you're doing. In fact, as the, the little kid poem reminds us, there are little eyes upon you and they're watching night and day. There are little ears that quickly take in every word you say. There are little hands all eager to do anything you do. So our words, our example, our instruction carry weight with the next generation that makes a significant impact on them. So to remind us, in a sense, that you cannot give away what you don't have. You cannot give away what you don't have. It's interesting that in Deuteronomy 6, when Moses starts his instruction to the fathers and parents to their children, he says, write these words on your heart. You cannot give away what you don't have. As we consider this calling to hand off the gospel baton to the next generation, it's hard not to throw up your hands and echo the words of the Apostle Paul, who is sufficient for these things. Who is sufficient for these things? The weight of responsibility of this task is overwhelming at times. And the insufficiency for such a task is undeniable at times, which is why we, in the midst of this responsibility, must always keep our eyes fixed on Christ. And remember that the ultimate work that has been done is not the work that we do for him in our homes. It is the work that he has done for us by laying down his life, by loving us and laying down his life on the cross for us. And in our diligence, we must always remember to be dependent on the grace that he supplies for the task because his grace is sufficient for us for his power is made perfect in our weakness. And now I know when I've I've talked on this on occasion, one of the questions I get, especially from uh, older parents who have kids out of the home, is, you know, what, what about my children now? What's my role now? in relation to my kids who aren't in the home. And to be honest, I don't have enough gray hairs to answer that question, but I will say this. The last chapter of their story has not been written. The Lord still has given you opportunities to be a gospel influence, whether talking to them or talking to God about them right now. And sometimes the seeds that you have sown can lie dormant for a very long time. Just ask my parents, they they sowed a lot of seeds um, Mike talked about the, the rod as the instrument of family government. I know about that instrument of family government, okay? And those seeds lie dormant for a long time and yet the Lord blessed them in a later season in life. And so do not grow weary in well-doing for in due time you shall reap a harvest of righteousness. So that would be my encouragement to you. In light of that, let's, let's pray as we prepare for this baptism. God, we acknowledge that in and of ourselves, we are not sufficient for this task. And yet we also acknowledge it's a task you've given to us. It's a weighty one that we might tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. So Lord, we want to to strike that balance by being a church that is not child-centric in the wrong way that sometimes the world is or not child-neglecting sometimes the way the world is, but is one in which we acknowledge our responsibility faithfully to pass that gospel baton on to the next generation. Lord, we do pray for our young ones here in our midst, Lord, that you, if you have not already, would grant them faith, that they would know the saving realities of a personal relationship with Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in response to this word we've just heard, we're going to turn our attention to Christ, our only hope, because his power is made perfect in our weakness. Let's stand together on page 9 and 10. Let's sing together, All Glory Be to Christ.